my friends, the great experiment. Prodigy. Prodigy. Hidden. Trink. Trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink. 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 Your people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star. Trink. Trink. The greatest trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm drinking eggnog right now, and I'm I'm hoping that wasn't a mistake. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, if you want to get on a mic and you don't want to sound phlegmy, you don't want people to hear the cream in your mouth. <laughs> what you do is knock back some nog on camera. <laughs> I don't know. Like, my voice is usually so high and reedy. Maybe I need some creamy Nog voice to kind of uh, play better Mm. on mic. Sound nicer to people. Drop you an octave with the Nog? Yeah, right? (laughs) I could either scream myself hoarse into a pillow before recording, or Mm. I could take a sip of this homemade Nog. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's good. The mesophones will tell us one way or the other. Right. (laughs) <laughs> Excited for that. Uh, I'm just drinking cider, my friend. Yeah? A nice dry apple cider. That sounds nice. I used to drink a lot of cider when I lived in Seattle. Yeah. So many beers in Seattle. So many breweries. Yeah. Brewers. We've got plenty of those down here. Yeah. Cider just burns clean. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, if you get a nice dry cider, I, I often prefer it to a beer. We haven't had beer in the house In ages. I think the last beer I had was sent by a viewer. Like that was the totality of our beers for many months. We were just sixers from independent breweries run by Friends of DeSoto, which has been great. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying a lot of fun beers that way, but now it's just nog and wine. (laughs) (laughs) That's a real lifestyle shift. (laughs) Yeah. How about that? Uh, Never at the same time, though, right? I mean, I have made that mistake before. Wow. Wow. I've been doing that thing where I'm I'm making dinner. Mm-hmm. I have a nog during. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. That's the thing about eggnog is when are you supposed to drink it? It's not one of those things where like, would you like a cocktail before a meal? Yes. Would you have a wine with dinner? Of course. Where and when do you drink eggnog? Oh, yeah. It's not like uh, eggnog pairs with steak right. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just drinking it whenever. Yeah. I think that's fine. I think that's good. There are no rules to eggnog, are there? No. Eggnog is a, is a man without a country. <laughs> there was a recent episode of the Adam Ragusea podcast where he was talking about the kind of like when and if to drinks and... uh one thing I love about Adam Ragusea, he's like he's a real two-fisted drinker. He's like extremely well informed in terms of like health and wellness, and like he uh-huh. takes really good care of his body. Like every time I see him, I feel like there's a new muscle somewhere. Yeah, is he officially Jim Shimoda? He better be. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we should double check that if he needs like a you know a gym bag or whatever. Yeah. But uh, the guy also enjoys an adult beverage. And his big recommendation was drink a little hard stuff before you eat so that you feel it. (laughs) And I'm like, that is such a high schooler's sensibility. (laughs) I I loved it. And I'm like standing in the kitchen the other day and I was like, well, there is like a bottle of gin on my bar cart right here. I could just have a gin and soda while I cook. Feel nice by dinner. Thank you.
Now I know from time immemorial, we've been told that uh, you shouldn't drink on an empty stomach. What Adam Ragusea presupposes is maybe that's exactly when you should drink. <laughs> so you feel it. So yeah, you get value for the calories is, is basically the argument. Like you're, I like that. There's like an economy of drunk. Yeah, yeah. It's going for. I remember on my uh, my twenty first birthday, my friend took me to an Irish pub and said, "Hey, it's this guy's twenty first birthday. I'd like to buy him a double shot of tequila." And the <laughs> Irish bartender said, "I'll give it to you in two shots. It'll hit him harder." <laughs> and so I had to, instead of knocking back one big shot, I had to just like in tandem knock back two shots. And did it hit as advertised? I've always wondered. I don't. I, you can't separate the variables because I I didn't experience the quantum state of Ben drinking the double as a double. You know, I have a hard time with shots. It just seems like a lot to take at once. <laughs> <laughs> and when they hit the stage, like we'll do a live show, and friends of Desoto will send shots up, which I think is great and fun and generous. But I'm always a little nervous because. There's a performance aspect to it. Mm -hmm. You want to be able mm -hmm. to do the shot and be like smooth. Yeah. Well, that's why you always perform with the reverse SNL barf tube attached to the right? side of your face so that you can pour the <laughs> shot. You you turn your head sideways to the audience and you what they think is happening is you're knocking back the shot, but you're really pouring the booze into a bladder that's taped to your leg yeah. for later enjoyment after the show. Yeah. Because you want to keep your, your head on straight for a Greatest Gen live show. I always wear a still suit on stage. <laughs> yeah, the, the high bag processes the alcohol and feces. <laughs> it's really cut down on the shows where I have to leave the stage. Yeah, yeah. The number of times I've been That's left. That's a fun bit. Everyone loves that. Yeah. Was that a Boston show where you like left me on stage and I like tried to plow forward with the show and I forgot like 10 minutes of material in the middle? <laughs> that was a highlight for me <laughs> I just like feeling needed and when I came back to the stage it really felt like I was needed at that moment yeah yeah don't enjoy being left a vamp up there yeah well you can leave anytime Ben I really relish those moments wow uh, when does this episode come out this is like a one of our holiday episodes right we're in the interregnum I need to look it up is this 1227 I think it is must be, yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody had a great holiday and they're uh, enjoying this show while pooping and avoiding their family. Yeah, that's what happens. These, God, there's so much buildup to the holiday-specific days. Yeah. But these days after, you're probably just hoping your flight isn't delayed. Yeah. No? Getting the fuck out. We have the Christmas and Hanukkah divide to straddle in my family. Mm-hmm. So often it's fine because Christmas and Hanukkah don't always coincide, but this year they did. And so the like booking the Christmas visit with my folks and booking the Hanukkah party with my wife's folks became like such a crazy algebra problem with so many variables and so many like, oh, but if we have the Hanukkah party this night, then this cousin can't come. And then we, you know, just doesn't feel right to not do that. And it's got to be so much harder because everyone wants to see Daron. Yeah, the boy. You feel obligated. You must feel obligated to parade him around, right? We do. It's 
<laughs> probably the hardest part of having a baby is how many like social obligations it like automatically signs you up for. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I was telling my wife the other day, I was like, I just want a weekend where we're like sit at home and are bored because we don't have anything to do. Now you're talking about my life. <laughs> That's the good stuff. Yeah. That shit rules. Making homemade eggnog. Yeah. In an afternoon. Yeah. Are you getting enough free time, buddy? Have you have you managed to crack into that PlayStation like I was hoping you would? Sure haven't. Oh. None of that, dude. What happened? <laughs> you had a night. I know. I know I did. What the hell? <laughs> I had problems with an install, and then, uh, yeah, I, shit it, just got fucked up I, on my end. I'm going to put my PlayStation in the trunk and drive it over to your house, and you can play the game. I don't think it's a PlayStation problem. <laughs> I'm having some sort of networking problem with it, but yeah. Jesus. I look. We're uh, we're recording this episode for the future. Yeah. We have fortunately been able to build in just the briefest of holiday breaks for us production wise, made possible by our intrepid producer. I am hoping to have some video game time during that little uh, interregnum. That be great yeah i really i really hope you do man i hope yeah. i hope some downtime some self-care mm, some yeah. self-love mm. it gets done yeah that does sound good huh yeah yeah i might fit in a little uh self-love at the conclusion of our recording yeah how are you liking having a uh, before leaving the studio <laughs> <laughs> a studio that's not attached to your house anymore <laughs> feels good man yeah one of the great things about house hunting in in LA is so many people here have weird little creative jobs like us mm-hmm. that like a huge number of houses that you can rent or buy have a a weird little like hermit shack in the back for somebody to go sit in and make their music or whatever. Yeah, they're all around us. It's amazing. I love it. The jack shacks you need are all around us. Yeah. Yeah. My Jack Shack currently under heavy amount of construction, but the second it's back in business, oh man, I'm going to really beat myself up. (laughs) Maravilloso. All right, Ben. Well, it might be time on that note to talk about this children's cartoon. (laughs) What do you say we change the subject to Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 19, Supernova? Part one. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. my mark, go fast. It's an episode that begins with Admiral Janeway trying to explain to some fucking brig sitter. <laughs> this is a lot like uh, a Crimson Tide scene, right? Mm. Where Gene Hackman's, you know, really taking the bark off of some ensign who's right. going to lock him in his uh, stateroom, right? But this isn't a stateroom, it's the brig. Yeah, she says to this uh, to this security person, Protostar fires their birds. We fire ours. <laughs> they cross in midair. Boom. What do you have? Nuclear war. Nuclear holocaust. The Zensen is not really playing around. Dal has really tarnished Janeway's reputation. And back on the bridge of the Protostar, he is acting like silly guilty about this. Like, I may have made an oopsie with her professional esteem among her colleagues <laughs> and it's like Dell. it's not funny they're about to kill us man i think one of the rules in the room when you're 
making this show has got to be Dal is always Dal. <laughs> like that is really evident here. Yeah. No matter what the stakes, even when the stakes are absolutely existential, he can't not be himself. Yeah. They don't really know what to do about this armada of ships that is bearing down on them. Meanwhile, Admiral Jellico is fucking pissed that he can't talk to Admiral Janeway. And did you get the sense that Commander Davi Diggs had sort of alighted what was going on to Jellico? Because he says, like, sick leave? What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I got, too. Yeah, so it, it sounds like Jellico was not told that Janeway had, like, for sure lost her mind and been medically sectioned and not allowed to continue being in command for that reason. Commander Tysis, though, also seems like, as a personality, a very difficult person to work with. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think... It could, on the surface, be Jellico being Jellico and how persnickety he is, but also, <laughs> like, it's Tysis, too, right? It is. It's what he yeah, brings to it. Yeah. I mean, our, uh, you know, friend of the show, Rin the Andorian, is the rare non-prickly Andorian, I feel like. I feel like they have a bit of a rep as a species. Yeah, so Essentia, this is another strange thing about Essentia. Like, does not really have the rank you would associate with a person who could just hop in between a conversation <laughs> between Jellico and Tysis <laughs> to be like, hey, so just to restate the plan as it is right now, uh, we're going to wreck the Protostar shields enough to beam over a boarding party. And yeah. Jellico is like, love it. Get a team on that ship. Yes, Admiral. I don't even know her name. Tysis, who the fuck is that? <laughs> Yeah, does not need to know. You can put her on alpha shift. I mean, she basically kicks Tysis's balls from behind. Right. Which is probably, if you're going to kick someone in the balls, that's maybe the best way, right? Because you get the whole front of the shoe, the top of the shoe. Right. But because he's an Andorian, that means she has to do a bicycle kickflip and land the shoe on top of his head because his gonads are actually in the antenna. Are they? <laughs> I don't know. Not everybody keeps their balls in the same place. I don't know how Andorians work. Yeah. How do they fuck? Just smushing <laughs> antenna together? Yeah, it's like uh, avatars. When you're an Andorian, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time. Oh, no. Yeah, the antennas reach out and uh, commingle. Yeah. Did you hear that they edited that out of the original avatar for being too like lurid or something? Ben, I don't know anything about the Avatar universe. I've never seen a movie. I don't know really what they're about outside what? of what they show in the trailer. I know nothing about the Avatar universe. You didn't see the original Avatar? I was not one of the dozens of people who saw that movie thousands of times. No. <laughs> I'm surprised given your uh, your fandom of James Cameron. I do really... You know what? I love James Cameron, but I resent James Cameron for leaving the live action action movie universe. He he set down his sword in the action movie war that he was fighting against Michael Bay. And I I don't I just don't think that's right. Mm. I think you should watch it. I think I think you might be surprised. Yeah. It's got a lot of like I mean it's just it's a James Cameron movie. It's like very James Cameron-y. Mm. And it is live action in many ways. <laughs> All right. I know Sigourney Weaver's in it, right? And I really like her. Yeah, and there's like giant robots fighting guys and soldiers. Robots are in this? I thought it was just blues. No, there's robots. There's like a whole scene where you like meet 
soldiers that is very like, oh, well, you just took some ideas from aliens and put it in this movie. Cool. I have a class two rating. Be my guest. Maybe we should bonus episode that. I don't want to watch it for nothing. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how uninterested I am in this idea. <laughs> Like, you're, I know you're trying to sell me the idea for this movie. I'm like, no thanks. Wow. It does not sound interesting. But I do it for the show, Ben. Yeah. I mean, they're making five sequels to this movie, Adam. It's going to be part of our culture whether we like it or not. <laughs> I don't like culture with that stated mission. <laughs> well, anyways, on the bridge zero is for some reason like on like a mechanics creeper under the control panel of the bridge and is like ripping out wires and and intersplicing them to to hotwire the protostar because i guess there was like a software lockout but zero is able to quickly undo that with some sort of mechanical genius that we never knew they had before zero should be covered in gel pack goo I thought gel pack was the shit. I thought we were pulling wires out of starships 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, but after that uh, time travel episode and the gel packs froze, they were like, we can never make this mistake again. Can't trust them, huh? Yeah. 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 So, you know, like that was probably the way for a little while. But when, when they made it back to the Federation, they were like, no, can't do it. There's kind of an engineering problem that they're trying to fix at this point. They're like throwing a bunch of energy toward the proto drive, but the proto drive isn't going to fire. We jump now, and the only place we're going is into our bazillion pieces. So why don't we use all that energy on the shields instead? Right. That's what they decide to do as they begin zooming around the fleet to dodge their phaser fire. Because they're getting shot. Yeah. The fleet is trying to get their, their shields down so that they can send this boarding party. And there's a very fun... Like, I, I was very much brought back to, like, Deep Space Nine defiant combat yeah. sequences in this yeah. moment when the protostar starts zipping around. Part of the fun is that the defiant makes an appearance. Right. I wondered if this is defiant captain by Worf. Would he still be in command at this point? Prepare for running speed! No. Is Adam Scott at helm? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean, it's a powerful little ship. Yeah. Little. I really like this scene for its action, but also I really needed it for scale. Like I've looked online at the relative size of the Protostar and all the other ships that we're familiar with in Star Trek. And I'm like, God, the Protostar seems small. Yeah. And seeing it then, I was like, well, whatever. Maybe that's not going to be how it reads on screen. It is very small in this scene. Yeah. It's a nubbin. There are sovereign class starships there's there's a bunch of starships we're familiar with unfortunately nothing the van sitters doesn't answer the call though does it no the van sitters chilling that's uh the rare sovereign class that is uh making the run from starbase to starbase yeah inspired by the hood clearly yeah. <laughs> i mean the van sitters saw how well that hooded sweatshirt was selling and the- we should send van sitters care of paramount <laughs> a USS Hood hoodie, just to be like, hey, this is what we're doing over here, and it kicks ass. That sounds extremely risky. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is the last episode of Greatest Trek. Wait, you already did this? <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know how we can divert that package now. Yeah. I feel like the proto star is like sort of like a short statured guy that gets into the NFL and is just like really good at, you know, making end runs around the defense. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like the neon Dion of starships. The the kick returner. Yeah. And it's doing a great job. Like it's dodging probably 19 out of 20 shots that are licked at it, right? It kind of got me down about <laughs> the offensive capability of Starfleet in general. Yeah. Like if they can't handle this little guy, like most of the ships they encounter are probably little guys, right? These are not kids that went to the academy and like got in trouble for attempting a culvert starburst. Like they're not trained yeah. hot dog pilots. Am I making any sense here? Who is even flying? Who's at helm? I don't know. I mean, I got distracted by Rock Talk's mouth. <laughs> this is a traumatic scene for me. Yeah. Well, Janeway still has some friends in Starfleet, and this security lady uh, is a Brenari refugee. Yeah, this is a type of person from a future episode of our hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. Engage. That's what I read. Oh, really? Yeah. You did some research on this one, I guess. Well, I didn't I didn't recognize the loaf and I didn't recognize the reference. And when I looked it up, I was like, oh, I don't want to read any further. This is from a future episode of Voyager. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like whatever Janeway did with those folks really went over great. Well played, Captain. This lady is willing, now that Janeway has been rotting in jail for a while, to free her. I feel like if this security lady had made that decision in the previous scene, the episode is solved and doesn't need to happen. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but because she waited a dramatically long amount of time, she really, she really screwed the pooch for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine a brig security person just doing whatever they want because Janeway's argument is convincing. Yeah. That's what happens here. So Janeway leaves the brig, and meanwhile, on the other ship, we get a scene between Dal and Gwyn. They're getting guns ready for the inevitable boarding party, right? Yeah. I mean, Gwyn grabs a sawed-off dustbuster. Yeah. Which seems great for close quarters. Does yeah, that's like a good like Borg's fighting dustbuster. Yeah, you affix bayonet to that. Yeah, that'll be dope. She makes a move like she's going to say something, you know, important or heavy to Dal mm. before leaving, and Dal interprets this as the the right moment. Yeah, he really Benjamin R. Harrison's this moment. Fuck you! With, when... <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Whoa! What are you doing? I'm so sorry. I thought that was a moment and we felt the same. <laughs> uh. And then the rest of the crew is like, Dal, not cool. <laughs> and then all of Gwyn's friends. You're basically the worst person I know. <laughs> all of Gwyn's friends are like whispering off in a corner about yeah. what Dal did. Yeah. Only listeners to the Santa Monica Mountains podcast are going to know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. There's like four people. <laughs> After that episode came out in the bonus feed, my best friend texted me and was like, he was at that party. Uh -huh. He was like, I had no idea that that hurt you that much. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That shit stings. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, you misread things. Um, and in this case, Dal misread what Gwyn was about to do as like, I think that like, uh, I hope that in the future there's less of this, but I think in our culture, like the media of the eighties and nineties specifically really sold us on the idea of the tearful confession of love. And I think that that's what Dal imagines Gwyn is about to do here. Well, also like the spontaneous kiss. Right. Was a thing that that I always felt like I needed to be prepared for, prepared to do. Yeah. Not prepared to receive, obviously. And you're like, how am I going to know when to do it? Right. It made <laughs> me miserable. It's such a fucked up thing to have to think through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the younger generations have that a lot more figured out. Like the, hey, why not just like check if it's cool? <laughs> Yeah. What a thought that like my 13-year-old brain would never have considered because the idea had never been presented to me in media. So Dal is like crippled by the shame of a, an ill-timed kiss. And then while his emotional hands are on his emotional knees, <laughs> Gwyn hauls off and kicks him in the nuts with a, yeah, by the way, Starfleet doesn't accept augments. Bye. <laughs> You deserve the truth. You're basically the alien trash of the galaxy as far as they're concerned. So uh, I just wanted you to hear it from me and not somebody that, you know, you care about. If I'm Dal, I'm actually a little grateful for this moment because I'm not feeling so bad about that kiss anymore. <laughs> Emotionally, that is off the table is like the thing we are dealing with now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was just trying to give him the world's shittiest news. But, uh, very much to his credit, he's like, well, if I can't have the thing I've wanted this entire season, nobody fucking can. And he like sets self-destruct and blows up the <laughs> show. <laughs> it's a good look for Dal. For as Dal as Dal has been the entire series, this chess game he plays in the moment of like, well, Gwen still wants to be in Starfleet and she can be because she's not an augment like me by taking the sawed off shotgun from Gwyn and like taking that responsibility for himself. He makes sure that the thing that would disqualify him would not do the same for the rest of the crew. It's pretty selfless. Yeah. It's amazing. Like they set up a bunch of barrels of explosive material on the protostar and then the rest of the crew escapes and Dal, despite being all shot up is holding the, detonator going <laughs> and then <laughs> sets it off when the fire <laughs> this is happening because we talked about James Cameron didn't it <laughs> I guess yeah that must be why I said that <laughs> he's so good yeah. such a good action movie director yep but ambulance pretty good like Michael Bay made May have come up over the top of Cameron, God, ultimately. God, Ambulance was so much fun. Yeah. How much fun was Ambulance? That is uh, that is the perfect airplane seat back movie, I have to say. Oh, that's a tragedy. That that movie is so bright and colorful. You should watch <laughs> that on your, on your regular TV. No, I watched it as the director intended. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> you mean uh, projected on his chest? Through his open shirt. <laughs> it's a little lower than his chest. Mm. 
so the Vanakot, the Vindicator, the Diviner, and Dreadnought. One thing about this group is they love karate chopping somebody in, into a state of unconsciousness. Yeah, they really like that. They don't want to murder anyone. You know, it's like they want the murder to be sort of self-inflicted by Starfleets. They're perfectly happy, like, enslaving children, but no on-screen murders get committed by these dudes. But they do knock out everybody on the away team. Murph likes murder way more than these characters. (laughs) And they take over as the away team. They beam over to the protostar. And, uh, yeah, like, Dreadnought is, like, taking the kids out one by one, but all in, like, ways that are, like, way more gentle than the design of his body would imply. Yeah. <laughs> he should be a wood chipper amount of violence. <laughs> he should just be, like, against a, these kids. Ripping them in half and, like, yeah, like, the metal spike tail goes, like, down Rock Talk's mouth and like blows her apart from the inside. Like he's basically made of razor wire fencing. Yeah. He looks so scary. And the, the yeah. fact that he is like, you know, icing Murph to the wall and and like locking Dal to the bulkhead with a a thrown piece of curved metal. So nice in retrospect. Very considerate. The diviner had to remind Dreadnought and Asensia not to hurt Gwyn. Remember, that's my daughter over there, Yeah, he said. So Gwyn can only watch this scene. Right. And it made me wonder, like, once they get there and shit starts hitting the fan, who is running the show? Because it sure seems as though Asensia is. Yeah. Gwyn is, like, hiding on the bridge. And, and yeah, Asensia seems to be, like, the big bad now. And the Diviner kind of a hench of hers. Mm-hmm. Like, when she sends him down to check on the living construct and then like closes the door behind him he's like so humiliated by that yeah and you're made to really feel bad for him even though he had a mining colony (laughs) completely filled with child (laughs) slaves you're really on his side in this moment huh yeah you join team diviner and uh you really hope he makes the right choice going (laughs) forward because Gwyn comes out with her nano sword and starts fighting swords with Asensia. Get off my ship. Grindala. The Diviner like crosses some wires and manages to to come back out and mm-hmm. is like again putting his evil mission ahead of the life of his daughter. Yeah. Until he's not. I love what an animated series can afford you in terms of like composition and camera move. And this is one of those scenes like I love being outside the ship yeah. And looking in the windows and watching this fight happen. Yeah. I sort of wondered because of the last episode and there was so much like ship to ship seeing each other through the glass, if they were going to do something with somebody on one of the Starfleet ships going like, there's like a sword mm-hmm. fight happening on the bridge of the, yeah. of the protostar. What is happening down there? Yeah. In this fight, Essentia throws a javelin basically at the diviner Yeah, when he hesitates to open the hailing frequencies that would cripple the, the fleet. Yeah. You were always the weak one. It's also like a very interesting scene in, in that it is a combat scene that could be so much more violent. It's very interesting to see in the kind of like streaming era of like, oh, like we'll just show somebody's body coming apart at the molecular level in the boys or whatever 
to yeah. have like somebody getting a sword in the gut or like getting a cut across their eye as like a thing that happens away from camera or outside of the mm -hmm. frame. Like mm -hmm. all of the brutality of it is very present, but the punch is pulled somewhat because it's not like violence for violence sake. Right. For example, the violence of slavery and specifically <laughs> toward hundreds of children that you've made mine ore on your planetoid. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on this episode? <laughs> I, I just, it's, it is curious to me that 19 episodes in, we are changing the script on the diviner yeah. and making him a figure we feel sorry for in death <laughs> because he misses his daughter. Yeah. Here's a question about that, like loosely related to that. Do you think that because time travel is involved time travel. and we're talking about erasing a timeline wherein the diviner would enslave a bunch of children mm. for his dark purposes, like, do you think that makes him more forgivable because that would never happen should his mission be successful? Like, look, no slaves. <laughs> mission success. <laughs> right? Ends, means, look at them. They're fine. <laughs> like, is that the math we're doing here? Man. He's a bad person. Yeah. He's a bad dad. All of the Vanukat are bad. Like, the the fact that they tore each other apart because Starfleet invited them to join. All of the Vanukat are bad. Especially Gwyn, who is very cruel to Dal <laughs> in the last scene. All he wanted was... Like an affirmation of their mutual attraction, and instead she makes it about his race? Gwyn, what the fuck? I would never kiss a you. <laughs> Whatever this is. <laughs> so Janeway makes it to the bridge after all of this and is like, yeah. don't open the hailing frequency. And Commander Tysus is like, uh? <laughs> As the the frequency opens and Asensia just laughs at them, but they don't recognize her. They don't know it's Asensia. Yeah. Yeah. The only people who would would be working in that transporter room that got the shit kicked out of them. They're still unconscious. Not dead mm -hmm. because, you know, these are not killers. Yeah. The only character who kills is Murph. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did really like the Murph versus Dreadnought combat scene, though. Yeah. Murph was funny in that. Yeah. He's a funny character. Yeah. Who is extremely lethal. Yeah. There's just there's so many bodies at this point. If Murph was, like, spray painting bodies onto the fuselage for every kill he had, he'd have <laughs> dozens at this point, right? Yeah. He really would. Yeah. But uh, it, it, this was a scene that drove me nuts because Janeway, like, Literally, having gotten out of jail moments earlier would have averted catastrophe. Janeway had a comm badge that was just given to her. Yeah, she could have called up. She made a calculated decision not to, maybe because she thought they would send more security after her, but I think unforced error. Yeah, maybe so. It's literally like moments between, like if, if Janeway had like not had to wait so long for the, the turbo lift, she maybe could have yeah. averted disaster. I know. Oh, it's so frustrating. It's big fun. I love seeing the ships turn red. Yeah. <laughs> they helpfully change all the colors on their hull so that uh, you can see <laughs> when they've gone evil. Uh-huh. 
we're having a lot of laughs about this scene, but one scene that I thought hit especially hard and good was going musicless for when the fleet starts attacking itself. Yeah. When it just sounds like phaser fire and destruction and death, and then they lay in the music a little bit after the damage gets worse fleet-wide, I thought that decision was so great. Yeah. It's tough and like... It's amazing when they cut back to the hallway where all the kids are like incapacitated or glued to the wall and they like have this all is lost moment while they're all in these like humiliating compromised positions. Right. It's rough, man. Murph has been made to like roll himself on a piece of newsprint with a Dilbert cartoon on it. (laughs) And it's like, oh, really? Uh, like, did we ever think that was funny? You can't even read the text because it's backwards. But, like, would you want to in the first place, <laughs> knowing who wrote it and what he's all about now? Yeah. This plays with that tension of, like, you are made to watch the thing that you have feared the most. Yeah. And with the kids all set up in this way, on the ship that has caused this to happen, like, they are going to be safe and living enough to watch this entire thing happen. Yeah. It's weird how the protostar isn't subject to this virus, right? Yeah, I guess it isn't. Um, maybe because it's patient zero, it doesn't have to get sick. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they uh, they basically are like, oh, we failed. It's over. Fucking zero. Like just a classic mess. Just a sloppy mess. <laughs> zero over there. Oh, what have we done? <laughs> you didn't do this, zero. You tried your best to save the day, and it didn't work. It's not your fault. It's weird how annoyed you get with characters that blame themselves for things, given who you chose as your podcast partner. (laughs) That's really true. That's Uh, well put. (laughs) I try to talk you out of blaming yourself all the time. (laughs) It doesn't work. That's most of what our producer edits out of this show. (laughs) We need to score a lot of laughs fast. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana, They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit, plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. 
Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. It is the ever-optimistic rock tuck that decides to not take this as an L, but fight back even in this dark hour. Yeah. We're not done! Not yet! She uses 
Jacob Pog's flamethrower attachment to his go-go gadget arm to melt Murph off. Rock Talk has fallen on top of Jenkin Pog because they were hit with a gravity mine, which is a pretty fun looking device when yeah. it takes effect. It it basically goes boom, but doesn't explode. It just kind of goes super high gravity in its proximity and it like draws people to the floor. So yeah. Rock Talk is squishing Jenkin Pog, but Rock Talk can move enough to manipulate Jenkin Pog's utility arm yeah. And set off this chain of events. Yeah. So they melt Murph. So Murph is free. And then they like, you know, Murph freeze zero, zero freeze Dal, Dal freeze them. And it's time to get back in the fight. Like, so the Armada is like, is, you know, all the lights on all the ships are red and they're taking each other out. But the kids get up to the bridge and there's Essencia and Dreadnought and they're like, your time is up, Asensia. <laughs> and then Dreadnought reveals he can't just turn into a table, Adam. He can also turn into a tin man. Tin man. Yeah, this is great. And the Vindicator gets all up inside that. I thought this was going to be a uh, robot jocks situation. I did too. I was like, oh man, here it goes. I was so excited for this part. And I got to admit, like a little crestfallen <laughs> that the Vindicator just like shoots up out of the ceiling and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, the diviner is uh, turning into ash and uh, blowing into uh, Gwen's beard like the Big Lebowski at Donnie's funeral. God damn it, Walter. You fucking asshole. In a scene where we're made to ask who grieves for the diviner. Right. Buried in a cheap grave under the name diviner. Nobody. Not me, anyway. <laughs> it seems like Gwen is the only one who grieves him. Yeah. Even though he was a shitty dad to her. She's like, God, what a fucking asshole. And he like taught me all these languages so that I could trick people and turn them against each other. And now that the universal translator is down, even though I'm grieving his death, I'm going to use that for the opposite purpose. The diviner self-cremated and wrote his own eulogy? God, that's just classic diviner, isn't it? <laughs> I don't get to do anything. Really fucking leaves some of the, the ugly truth out of this description <laughs> of himself. Zero is able to activate Hollow Janeway, though. Yeah. But uh, a lot of help she is because no one's able to talk to each other. Yeah. Only uh, Admiral Janeway is able to talk to Dal. It turns out Dal speaks Federation. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but also like, what the hell? Yeah, but Federation doesn't want to talk to him. No. Yeah. Sad, really. <laughs> but he and Janeway connect, and they come up with this idea sort of on the fly. Like, what if we get by with a little help from our friends? And if we summon ships that are friendly to the Federation but are not carrying a Federation signature, they can help, like, stop all of these starships from destroying each other. And so... Uh, they get on with a Klingon. They find a civilian Klingon ship <laughs> cruising by, and they and they get this person on screen, and he's like, "Hello, <laughs> I do not recognize your uniforms. What Star Empire do you belong to? I do not remember most things about the political situation in this quadrant." You'll see my cargo is 40 cases of human urine. 
it's a real Smokey and the Bandit situation, except <laughs> with piss. <laughs> it doesn't seem like they talked this lady into being the cavalry that comes and saves the day. No, a very dramatic hang-up of the FaceTime call. Yeah. This Klingon does. And then like Janeway's like, well, we gave it our college try. Oh, well. Yeah, it doesn't appear like that piss Klingon is going <laughs> to come help us at all. <laughs> he hangs up the phone and he's like, I know I had the intention of doing something now, but I cannot remember whose rescue I was going to ride to. Autopilot really helps a post-lobotomized mind. I should really take notes next time I get on a phone call. Kern opens up his shirt and it's like uh, (laughs) Christopher Nolan tattoos of like, you deliver piss to Bashir and that is all you do and nothing else. Don't trust O'Brien. Yeah. (laughs) Remember Dr. Bashir. One thing about the scene where the Federation starships first start firing at each other is it's like almost all phasers, no torpedoes. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And I was like, it seems like they're really taking their sweet time in cutting each other up. And then the further into the episode we got, I was like, is this just a dramatic device for these other ships to ride to the rescue? And they kind of like bumped me in the scene where I was like, oh man, like obviously like we've spent a lot of time establishing what the firepower of an armada like this looks like and it's really bad. So the fact that they've had enough time for other ships to start warping into the sector kind of undercuts that argument a little bit. But then I realized it's actually because the rest of Starfleet is coming. Like this has to be by design because the idea of the living construct is that the ships start destroying each other and sending out this SOS and then more and more Starfleet keeps riding to the rescue and it becomes like a cascade effect. So they can't be like super quick to the destruction because then they wouldn't have enough ships to destroy the ones that arrive. One of my favorite parts of Rogue One is when the two Star Destroyers crash into each other. Yeah, that shit is awesome. I was so hoping for a ship-to-ship collision here while they're all packed together. Yeah, that would have been cool. But there's something about this scene that's pulling the the punches of the lethality. Like you say, none of the ships are destroyed or even close to being destroyed. Yeah. The cavalry sort of arrives in the form of these other alien ships coming, and then the translators are back online in time for it not to be inconvenient for the plot. Mm -hmm. And then they realize this like awful truth about the rest of Starfleet coming. And it's like they're just standing on their bridge going like, fuck. (laughs) And then it's like the music just abruptly stops, like in the middle of a note. Yeah. And then it's the credits. Yeah. I couldn't fucking believe that. Like, that's got to be like an error in the in the screener, right? The way the music just like hard cut out like that. I mean, I like I like being hung from the kind of cliff that looks like we're out of answers. The problems that we've been trying to solve are at their absolute worst. Yeah. And there is no hope at all. Like that is a pretty great cliff to end on. We don't even have the benefit of a Mr. Warf fire in this. But yeah, there's usually punctuation to that yeah. in the form of a Mr. Warfire, like you say, that is absent here. 
that makes me wonder, like we're watching these on screeners. I do wonder if, if the screener version is the version that goes to TV, but I also wonder if they're going to play these consecutively right. when they right. come out. It seemed like an unusual ending for a couple of reasons, yeah. as you say. Really ends on a down note. And again, like in a way that we've talked about a bunch throughout the season, like, is this an effective ending for a children's TV show? <laughs> well, and I guess that sort of begs the question, Adam, did you like this episode? A, a whole lot I did, it turns out. Wow. This was one of those episodes that maintains that the diviner is someone that we should care about. <laughs> and I don't. Like, I don't think any amount of... I mean, there there is a retcon in progress here with him. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that I'm the one that needs to write that in my mind, like time travel wise, like the thing that makes him okay. Right. He's still not okay as a person. No, he's bad. But the action set piece kicked ass. Like you can be a kid of any age and enjoy that. That was big fun. Like all the stunt flying of the protostar. Yeah. Great fun. Look, I know that the timing might have been unusual and a little bit of a dramatic flair, but like, you know, Janeway getting out of the brig just in the nick of time to be wrong <laughs> or just in time for her timing to be off mm-hmm. is like a satisfying moment of failure. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are, this is an episode made of a lot of good moments and a lot of moments that had me scratching my head a little bit, but ultimately I think I can feel good about it rolling into the second part, having not seen the second part. Yeah. I think this is again, in a way that many two-parters are, like part two could make this great or it could be a, a net neutral to the whole thing. Yeah. But I think like we've always said that the test of a part one is, does it make me excited for part two? And this for sure does. So I've... You've said it all the time. Does the episode think it's the star of the season? <laughs> and <laughs> this episode thinks that. Yeah. It might not be wrong. Yeah. One thing that feels so right about this time in any episode, Ben, is the reading of a priority one message. You want to see what we got over there? Yeah, let's see what we got over there. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, we've got a priority one message here from the STA USS Dauntless crew. You know, that's Captain Kellyan, a.k.a. Jeff. Zala, a.k.a. Roof Anastasia. Temu, a.k.a. Joe. Tayor, a.k.a. Anzal, and Dr. Latha, which you and I know as Ramon LP4. The message goes like this. As you well know, Tamu and I are the diplomatic mission to Lilifas, while the rest of the senior staff are on a secret mission to extract a high-value target from an Orion outpost. As per Starfleet protocol, we have sent our doctor, security chief, and helmsman. <laughs> Nevertheless... I wanted to take a moment to wish you and all FODs everywhere happy Earth holidays. Hey! Of course, this is a reference to their uh, Star Trek adventure story together. Yeah. Uh, They sent that message to Admiral Harrison and Ensign Pranica. Yeah, that that checks out. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Absolutely savage dunk. Yeah. You seem like the kind of ensign that would just get in between a conversation that I'm trying to have with a commander, you know, just yeah. like step right into I that. I interrupt you enough on this show. Of course, <laughs> I would interrupt the conversation between a, an admiral and a commander. 
Very comfortable with that. Very good. Well, if you'd like to get a priority one message, go to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron and sign up for one today. The Greatest Generation, so many Priority One messages booked. Greatest Trek, not a small show by any means, but significantly fewer. So if you've got an urgent message that you want to get out soon... You can make it happen. Greatest Trek is where to do it. Yeah. Hey, Ben. Bonus Franks! Bonus Franks! Bonus Franks! Bonus Franks! Bonus <laughs> I feel like the nog was really uh, really working on my end. <laughs> really uh, giving some backbone to those high notes. Yeah, as was the cedra on mine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What do you say? <laughs> do you have one? Do I have one? She calls herself Essentia. She calls herself the Vindicator. She has so many names. <laughs> to me, she's the Barnes Franks of this episode. Yeah. Wow. She's taken the episode and the mission from the Diviner. She turns to Gwyn and she's like, look, I'm your mom now. <laughs> she rules this episode. And I don't know who is going to take power away from her now that she has it. Yeah. I mean, she has an, a, a terribly chaotic energy, but she also seems to be kind of gone. Like, <laughs> do you think we'll see her next episode even? Yeah. I mean... How long can you live inside a glass table? <laughs> She's about to find out. Can you can you get TV inside there? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't seem like he's much for conversation. She tried to download a couple of movies onto Dreadnought on her way out the door. And then when she got on the flight, she realized that uh, some of these have like DRM that requires you to be connected to the internet to, to even oh, play them sucks. when they're downloaded. And it's like, Fuck, come on. I own this fucking movie. Give me a break. That sucks. Yeah. That's actually kind of why Dreadnought is my <laughs> Barnes ranks. Like the twist when the camera pulls out and it is not Dreadnought turning into a mech suit loader. Yeah. When he's just turning into a torpedo casing. Yeah, like I thought that the Vindicator was going to Ripley around with a, a robot suit on them and it was going to be like... You know, that moment in the video game where you think you've defeated the boss enemy and then it like goes underground and comes out even bigger and scarier. Ah, yeah. oh, maddening. This is a very disappointing transformer when the, <laughs> the kid opens up the package and he's like, oh, awesome. I can turn Dreadnought into a, uh, I can turn it into a table or a pupa. That's it. Huh. I mean, I guess I'll just leave him as a as a dreadnought because that's by far the coolest version <laughs> of what he can be. Huh. Thanks, I guess. Yeah. At least with Murph, I can murder people. <laughs> that is why dreadnought is my part of the strings. Wow. Good choice. Good reason. 
There will be more about the episode next week in the credits, Adam, but we got one last segment that we like to do every week on this show. It's called Warning Boys. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning Boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. You know, when you post about the show on social media, sometimes it can be to encourage others to listen in. But as often as not, it can be just a warning not to listen. This might be a weird thing for you. And the uh, post I wanted to highlight today, Adam, is on Instagram by Crabiel391, who shared that they walked 100,000 steps today. It says, did 100,000 steps today, walking all day, listening to only one pod, The Greatest Trek. I know Ben was a big pick man, so he will get this. And uh, that is a reference to the fact that the first image in this post is of their stats in Pikmin Bloom, a phone app game that I play. Is that a game associated with the number of steps you take also, or is that an unrelated idea? Uh, it's, it is associated with that in that uh, you plant flowers as you walk around in Pikmin Bloom, and it's like based on the actual map of your area. So uh, you plant these flowers, and it's, it's uh, made by the same company that made... Um, that Pokemon game where you walk around mm-hmm. in the real, real world and like find mm-hmm. Pokemons in Central Park and stuff. So, anyways, God, a hundred thousand steps is forty six point one miles, according to yeah Crabiel's post. I think the furthest I've ever walked in a day was like twenty six miles, and that was at Disneyland. Wow, one day. that is no fucking joke, man. <laughs> I cannot believe they did forty six miles. That's wild. Yeah. 802 minutes. They sign off saying, listen to the pod. It's the only pod that will make you walk and walk and walk and walk. Yeah. I mean, most people walk walk off of the end of a dock after uh, not even an entire episode finishes. So Yeah. Yeah. I hope they ate a really big meal after burning 7,582 calories in one day. Wow. Yeah, need a walking around meal, like yeah. a uh, a burrito or something. Yeah, you deserve like fried chicken or similar. Yeah. Something calorie dense. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, all of that is to say, uh, we really appreciate the folks that post on social media about our show. Helps get the word out there, and it means the world to us. And uh, if you'd like to uh, get a post on... The show, just tweet about the show or Instagram about the show or post on whatever social media app exists in 2023. Yeah, so far you're doing a great job getting Bill's attention and he's winging those our way for your enjoyment. Yeah. All right, well, uh, it is time for some credits and don't let that sound boring because it's going to have information about the exciting conclusion to season one of Star Trek Prodigy. Basically a celebration of the diviner and his life. Real slave planet having candle in the wind. (laughs) Bye. Greatest Trek is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Franica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next up on Star Trek Prodigy, it's the season one finale. Episode 20 is called Supernova Part 2. As the Federation hangs in the balance, the crew must make the ultimate sacrifice to save Starfleet's future. 
Thank you to Adam Ragusea, who created all of the original music that you hear on the show. Make sure you're subscribed to his podcast and YouTube cooking channel for many more food and beverage insights. Nick Dittmore created the show art and also helps out over at podshop.biz. Getting yourself something fun over there is a great way to support this show. And a big thank you to Bill Tilly for being the card daddy and running the social media pages for Expert Shimoda. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter and use the hashtag Greatest Trek to talk about the show online. Finally, thank you to the members who are supporting this show monthly at MaximumFun.org slash join. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. And he lived his life <laughs> like a slave owner in the wind. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.